the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And very glad to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. The weather is great. Very balanced here in California. Our pollens are down. And many, many, many of us are happy, somewhat energetic, and therefore enthusiastic about today. I hope you are as well. I want to welcome you again to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistin. And the number to reach me is one 367 5329 Three six seven five three two nine. We can talk about anything between the pages of A and Z. That is uh, subject matters that would be of importance to you and me, and that would exalt God, expand our knowledge base, challenge our um, our points of reference concerning uh, experience and wisdom, and the the need to continue growing in the Lord and in the. Uh, the word of his grace. So the number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You can help me build a category for discussion today if you want to. You might have a topic worthy of uh, holding our attention for two hours. Glad to have you with me. If you're on your way home from work, be careful. Um, drive safely. Um, let's pray for the program. Make sure that it goes well and somebody can be encouraged, lifted up admonished maybe um or challenged that uh, that often is the case when we are pursuing walking in the light and uh, taking up um issues that have to do with our life father bless everyone listening particularly those that are driving and anyone listening that may be going through a major major trial which is very likely the case. According to your word, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivers them out of them all. We trust you, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. So we had a great Mother's Day celebration yesterday. I hope you guys were able to engage in some form of uh, of respect and celebration of your moms. Uh, uh, happy Mother's Day. Happy belated Mother's Day. If you didn't experience it and you're on the line with us now, we are thankful for our mothers and for everything they mean to all of us on the planet. Very difficult job they have. I was reading an article last week uh, and again today that was talking about uh yeah, baby, uh, baby mind, mothers having the baby mind. And the nature of that was that the mind of a mother is frequently foggy when uh, when they are raising kids and uh, the children are always tugging on them. The foggy mind of a of a baby mom uh, where they 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 can they can be in the fog. You heard us talk about this a couple of weeks ago, emotional fog. Well, definitely a mom can be engaged in emotional fog. Um, and can kind of be in that fog for a long time, even years, if she doesn't have a, a method of being able to break away from that that uh, mandate for a season and, and, and get some reprieve for her almost unending need and demand on the part of the kids. So, um, happy belated Mother's Day to you all. Let me ask you a few questions. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how to bring about a, uh, a dialogue with you uh, and interstimulate your thought. I'm going to ask you a few questions. These are all basic ideas. You probably have heard them before, but, but this will stimulate the article that I want to read that really caught my attention last week. Um, even though we had a good topic last week dealing with the issue of um, 
of your emotions are 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 neither the most important thing in your life nor the least important thing. And I got a number of responses from you that that was a good that was a good program. I'm glad you were blessed by it. So here here here's a few questions I want to raise. I hope you're healthy. I hope you are in a good place right now. I hope you are ready to put on your thinking cap. Does God take pleasure in your trials? Does God take pleasure in your trials? Is another question. Does he take pleasure in your falls? In your failings? One of the things I do with my guys who um, sit under me and, and have been taught by me for years, both on a more technical level of, of how to communicate homiletics and how to interpret scripture, hermeneutics, is uh, I, I, I often help them pick up on quip sayings that, that believers often use that really don't have their basis in the Bible, even though believers think they do. And I, I, I have to address often what are kind of extremes on our parts as, as professing Christians where we make assertions and uh, statements about God or his word that really does not square with his, his word. Like recently I've been dealing with the, the biblical balance between sovereignty, divine sovereignty, the fact that God is sovereign in every aspect of what sovereignty can uh, infer with regards to an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God. Um, God is sovereign, and yet man is responsible, humanly responsible, for his choices and decisions. And therefore, God engages humanity on a relational premise of imperatives and commandments predicated upon an indicative or based upon a relationship. Now, if God did not mean for you and I to ever obey him uh, with whatever qualifications and and, uh, resources are needed to obey him, if God didn't frame the relationship around obedience, if you read your Bible right, as Solomon puts it, this is the end of everything. This is the sum, sum total of all biblical revelation. To fear God and to keep his commandments. Now, Solomon put it. Um, what Solomon did not do was take the onus of our responsibility and so put it on God as if to assert that God really does not care about our obedience. Um but people will talk like that, even in the area of what what they do for God. Well, I don't do anything. God does it all. God's doing it all. He's not. He's doing it all. I'm not doing a thing. It's just God doing it. And I say, now, don't say that because you are making an assumption that that God will tell you to do something and then God will not expect you to do it, but that rather he would do it for you. Now, if God did it for you when he told you to do it, and then turns around and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, then God would be lying on himself. If God would tell you to do something and you would not do it, and God would decide to punish one for not doing what God told him to do, and yet reward another who also did not do what God had told him to do, but God instead did it for him, God would actually be transgressing his own law. I know you see the logic, even if, even if you don't want to. So don't say that when God graces you to do what he has called you to do, that you're not doing it. God's the one doing it. No, don't say that. That that would be a distortion of the intentionality of God in terms of relationship. Now, when God called you into relationship with him, he called you to obey him. And if you understand anything about your responsibility, you know you need help. This is where I'm going with my topic today, by the way. So I'm, I'm priming you. We want to think God's thoughts after him and say what his word says accurately. That way we can help people. But to tell somebody that you don't do anything, God does it all, is to lie on God and to deny the glory that God should get from a relationship with you through your obedience. Yeah. That's the other extreme that goes on, too, that God tells you to do it, and then you do do it, and you take all the glory for doing it as if you did it all by yourself. See the two extremes? 
So now when I said, does God take pleasure in your trials? When you call, I want you to be clear on the question, on the answer. Yes or no. Does God take pleasure in your trials? Does he take pleasure in your falls? When you fall in your trials, does he expect you to overcome your trials? That's three questions. Will God give you more than you can handle? That's the fourth question. Will God give you more than you can handle? You know, you've heard it before, right? God won't do that. God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you guys know the answer to that final question right there? Will God give you more than you can handle? If you're a believer, you've been around for in in the faith. If you've been in the faith for one year, (laughs) I mean, if you've been authentically in the faith for one week, if you've been walking in the light of a proper knowledge of who God is, what he expects, who you are and what your capacities are, you would know the answer to this question. Will God give you more than you can handle? One of the surprising things that does occur in the life of the believer after a few months of really pursuing God is you discover a bunch of things about what you assumed about God that were neither biblical nor experientially true. And that's when you started struggling. That's when you started sweating, proverbially speaking, because you began to realize that there were things that God has told you to do that you weren't doing. And then you began to realize that there were things you had assumed about God and you had assumed about salvation. You had assumed about being a believer in Christ. That did not happen to you. And you found yourself going through things and struggling. And having conniptions because what you expected God to do, he didn't. And what you expected yourself to do, you didn't. And now you're in a quandary trying to figure out who is right and who is wrong. Well, I can tell you quickly who's wrong. You are not God. And maybe a bunch of Christians who will give you language, biblical slang language that really sounds biblical, but is not. So I want to ask you the questions again. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Does God take pleasure in your trials? Does he take pleasure in your falls? Does he expect you to overcome your trials? Will God give you more than you can handle? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four questions. Does God take pleasure in your trials? Does he take, does he take pleasure in your falls? When you fall, does God go good? Yay. Yay. Yippee. Or does he expect you to overcome your trials when they come? See, the questions actually give insight into the nature and character and perspective of God relative to his relationship with you. Doesn't it? And if I'm getting God wrong, I've got a huge problem here. Will God give you more than you can handle? Yes or no? That's the real question. I want you to think about it. Now, you know, we've been wrong before we're in class. Uh, The class of Christ goes on 24 hours a day, even in your sleep. You know, the Lord will be teaching you things even in your sleep. So don't don't feel bad. Get you a cup of coffee. Get you some some tea. Get you some cocoa. Whatever you do about this time of the day, get your cup of iced tea, cup of coffee, whatever, and sit down so we can unpack a very common notion about how God acts in relationship to believers That really is not true so that it can revolutionize the way you engage God. Meaning, meaning, meaning this. Let's get away from pretending we know God well because we listen carefully to and mimic statements made by other people about God. Never, ever taking those statements and squaring them with the word of God 
and then affirming them by the word of God so that we know what the word of God says, plus what other folks say. And we agree with other folks because what other folks say happens to agree with the word of God explicitly and logically and coherently as they are compared. That actually is what First Corinthians chapter 2 is saying when it says the spiritual man discerneth all things spiritual, comparing, comparing spiritual with spiritual. He hears spiritual propositions. He determines their value in light of spiritual truth and determines whether or not that proposition is actually spiritual or carnal, even if it's wrapped up in the spiritual garb of, of, of biblical language. Rightly discerning, he will know whether or not he's dealing with a religious proposition language dynamic that really has missed the mark or if it corresponds with the word of God accurately. And thus he does not. She does not mind. They do not mind echoing what they heard because they can back it up with the scriptures rightly interpreted. So what I'm going to talk about when I come back is the issue of will God give you more then you can handle. Now, why is this important as I go to the break? Because either we're walking in lies, a delusion, which is a misrepresentation of the fact and altering either on our part subjectively mentally or an altering on the part of uh, our objective by virtue of a filter uh, of which in, in any case, we are misinterpreting or imposing upon reality a distorted view that doesn't exist. Or we've got the truth. And if we have the aletheia, if we have the truth, if we have the amen, Old Testament Hebrew, aman, New Testament aletheia, if we have the truth, then we have the unveiled reality of things. The unveiled reality of things in a way in which God has revealed to us so that we can... Um, we can say of a truth, this is true. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to the break. Got to pay some bills. We'll come back. Try to fill the lines up. one 367 5329 one Will God give you more than you can handle? Does God take pleasure in your trials? Does he take pleasure in your falls? Does God expect you to overcome I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back. The time is 513 and I've got three lines open. If you guys want to call in um, or you just want to sit there and let whoever, whoever calls get the answer right or wrong. We are asking the question, does God take pleasure in your trials? Does God take pleasure in your falls? Does God expect you to overcome your trials? And will God give you more than you can handle? one 367 if, if, if those were the questions that would determine whether or not you got into heaven, would you, would you be confident the doors would open on you? Uh, or when you put in the numbers, you can start sweating, wondering what, 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 what? I don't know. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm going to read an article. Um, wait for a few more people to get on the line, and then uh, we'll have the conversation. Obviously, if you listen to the article carefully enough, you will actually uh, get some answers. I'm not, I'm not here for you to to be wrong. I'm here to just kind of um, help you kind of get biblical concepts right. Have you ever heard people who say God will never give you more than you can handle? This article is by Mitch Chase, and this is what Mitch says. He's a, a writer for for a Gospel Coalition on the student um, authorities and, and a smart smart kid. Here, Christians make the strangest claims. Mitch says when comforting those who are suffering, and this is particularly right. I'm, I'm speaking now. Um, what do you say to someone whose life is falling apart? This is what he says, but I'm saying it too. As a pastor, I'm dealing with this frequently. If you have but few precious minutes with a person who's lost a job or a home or a spouse or a child or all sense of purpose, what comfort do you give them? We might turn to conventional wisdom instead of scripture and end up saying something like, don't worry. This wouldn't happen in your life if God didn't think you could bear it. Have you heard that one? 
The sufferer may object, head shaking and hands up, but you insist. Look, look, seriously, the Bible promises God won't ever give you more in life than you can handle. Have you heard that? I mean, they're really laying it on. There it is, your conventional wisdom masquerading as biblical truth. Your conventional wisdom masquerading as biblical truth. You promise what the Bible, here's what Mitch says, never does. Now, you know what that makes us when we do that. This is PJ talking. It makes us a liar. We're now lying on God. If we say something God does not say, which we probably do a lot when we're trying to help God, we're his PR (laughs) spokesperson. Particularly when people are in trouble, we want to come through, rescue them in Jesus' name. As the paraclete, as the Holy Ghost. We will often say things that God does not say. Uh, now, you, you and I know we've talked about the d- difference between temptations and trials, right? If you're new, let me run that by you really quick before I go on with this article. The difference between a temptation and a trial is that God allows them both. But one is designed to drive you to God. The other one is designed to drive you away from God. Now, God knows it already before it happens. Omniscience. God has determined it by way of his eternal decree, a sovereignty. But God doesn't expect anything other than what he sees to occur in light of his intentionality and purposes behind your response. Now, you have a sense of freedom there, but not total freedom. First Corinthians 10, the apostle writes, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. His discussion is specific. He's writing about temptation, a snare that breaks a sweat, trying to drag us into sin. Using a predator metaphor, God warned Cain that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Remember Genesis 4, 7? Sin stalks us. Sin stalks us. Don't you feel it? That creepy thing? in your conscience and in your mind and in your heart and just in your presence, often sin. It it, it dogs us every day. Dogs me, I can tell you that now. Sin stalks us, he says, but God is faithful. Sin desires to overcome us, but there is a merciful way of escape. Sin sets the bait. But for the believer, praise God, sin is not irresistible. Now, if people apply Paul's words about temptation to general suffering, you can see where the line, God will never give you more than you can handle, comes from. Now, I don't doubt that sincerity and good intention of those who use the phrase, but sincerity isn't enough. Even Job's friends meant well, but you know how bad they misinterpreted many portions of Scripture. Now, Arthur goes on to say there are 20 errors here. There are at least two errors in the unbiblical notion of God will never give you more than you can handle. First, it plays on the cultural cultural virtue of fairness. Now, that's something that really needs to be unpacked. And it is so central to people's misunderstanding. I'm talking now. PJ's talking now. It's so central to people's misunderstanding of God's providence and God's sovereignty. We, we presume that there's going to be a fairness to life, a fairness to our relationship with God, a fairness to the, uh, all of the contingencies that go into our existence, i.e. me, God, everyone else, demons and human beings, circumstances and events. All of that is the makeup of my life. And we assume that things are going to be fair. But what if God has allowed you and I to be in a world of unfairness? What if God has allowed you and I to be in a world where people don't come to you and say, hey, I'm temptation. Now I'm still talking, not the author. Hey, I'm sin. Hey, I'm a trial. What if they come and lamb blast you in the back of the head when you're not looking? What if they put a rope on your ankle while you're asleep? What if they put something in your water while you are not paying attention? so as to bring you into a stupor, cause you to stumble and then fall and watch how you react. Can sin do all that to us? Indeed it can. He says the twin errors are often that people feel as if everything should be fair play. 
um, it, it, it points the secondly, it points the sufferer in this particular case. God will not give you more than you can bear. It points the sufferer inward instead of Godward. Did you get that one? First, trials that are fair. If you give your children boxes to load into the car, you make visual and weight assessments that factor in their ages and strength. You don't overload their arms. Watch them then crash to the ground with stuff splayed everywhere. That would be unfair. The saying, God will never give you more than you can handle, strikes a tone of fairness we instinctually like. There's something pleasing about the idea that scales are in balance, that God has assessed what we can handle and permits trials according to the scale of our capacities. Now, he's mocking. I hope you don't buy into that notion because that would be a false interpretation of 1 Corinthians 10. But there is a glaring problem with the fairness concept, says the author, that undergirds this conventional wisdom. God has been unfair already because he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Oh, he took us back to Psalm 103. He has been long-suffering, forbearing, gracious, and abounding in love. Would you agree? Absolutely. The sun shines and rain falls even on the unjust. God transcends the categories of fair and unfair to such a degree that we have no position to evaluate his actions or weigh his will. His ways aren't subject to our cultural standards of fairness. Boom. As Isaiah 55, by the way, you know it. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God's ways are against ours. But Alistair Begg said it this morning as he was unpacking uh, Matthew chapter 6 as well, the disciples' prayer given to them by the Lord, that we cannot enter into judgment with God when we see God do a thing as if we know all of the intrinsic factors and contingencies and outcomes that God knows. We can't blame God as if we are clear on how this works. Neither can we presume that God is going to play fair, uh, as you and I would call fairness. So the author is really, 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 really getting at us. And I'll say this one thing. I got to take a break and then I'll come back and take your phone calls. The vast majority of people who really think through Christian proposition, what the gospel is about. The vast majority of them does not view God as fair. And child of God, you should not be proffering the gospel as if it's a fairness doctrine that God is being fair to you. As the author says, God is not being fair. God is being merciful. The fact that he doesn't send us to hell is being merciful. If God were fair, there would be no people on the planet. At any time, if God were fair. Hence, trials and tribulations must not be assumed to be established on the uh, principle of fairness. There has to be a greater, much more transcendent purpose on the part of God than just God being fair, even when allowing a trial. I mean, think about it. God knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall before he even made them. He knew the devil was going to tempt them before he even created the serpent. I mean, the unbeliever would say that was unfair for God to know that they were going to fall, for God to know that the devil was going to be able to successfully manipulate and deceive them, or at least her, and then drive him to an inexplicable conclusion that would lead to the ruin of the whole human race. They would say that's unfair. They would also say it's unfair for God to uh, account all sin to all of us through Adam and Eve. But they would have to also say it's unfair that God would account the sins of those who trust in Christ to Christ. You see, the gospel is not fair. Oh, Lord, don't give us fairness. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 541. Um, one line open, one 367 I have sufficiently milked our dialogue and conversation. So now I will go to the phone lines with you budding theologians to see what kind of uh, answer you might offer to our topic today and see if you have any kind of experiential um uh, fruit to offer our audience. Let's go to line one and talk with Tamara in Oakland. Tamara, are you there? Hi, Pastor. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm great. What you up to? So, um, I wanted to answer 
the question. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that um, for me, Second uh, Corinthians one, um, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our um, affliction, so that we could uh, um, comfort others by the comfort that we've been comforted with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, answer is, is, is part of the answer, and then also how is uh, that? How is how is how is that part of the answer? So let let's start um, back. Let's start back to the question. Are okay, you sitting down? Are you sitting down? Uh, I'm kind of standing up. I was doing. I'm off today, and I was doing yard work with my mother. Okay, good. Well, good. Then that that means you can. <laughs> okay, you know, you know. All right, so you know how we do this. Your answer has to have some kind of corresponding connection to the question. Yes. You can't be coming from a yep. whole other place because you know you, you know what I do. You know what I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm doing that. Okay. Okay. So the question is. Does God give you more than you actually can handle? That is our primary question because the assumption is God won't ever give you more than you can handle. And I gave four other peripheral questions relevant to it. Does God take pleasure in our trials? Does he take pleasure in our falls and failures and mistakes? Does he expect you and I to overcome our trials? And will God give you more than you can handle? Now, what question are you extracting from those by which you now would give me the comfort verse of um, of First uh, Corinthians or Second Corinthians one? Second Corinthians. That's that's not the only verse. I wanted to also go down to where Paul um, says that it. Uh, Seeing that they were given uh, the sentence of death, mm-hmm. and um, but it was that they didn't rely on themselves, but uh, he didn't rely on himself, but rely on God. Okay, but what does that have to and, do? Uh, how are you? Go- how are you engaging me in a question answer format? What is the question that you are answering? What question are you answering? First, um, uh, will he give us more? Then we can handle. And, I and, believe yes. Okay, let's start right there. You because you gotta uh, you gotta answer it in the affirmative, either yes or in the uh, negative, no, and then set forth your argument for it or your premise okay. for it. That's how you have uh, a back and forth conversation. So for Tamra, so, for Tamra, mm-hmm. everybody's yeah. listening to you and they want to see how you engage because you all you did was say, let me give you some verses, Pastor. You got to first ask the very explicit question. Will God give you more than you can handle? The answer should have been in the affirmative or in the negative. No, he won't give you more. And here's the reason why. Or yes, he will give you more. And here's the reason why. Or in some cases, yes. And in some cases, no. And here is the reasoning why. So you are asserting that God will give you more than you can handle. Then you started with the comfort verse, the God of all comfort who comforts us with the comfort that he comforts us and will have us to comfort others with that same comfort. I really don't know if I would use that verse to be a direct answer to the question, but the verse you are moving to, but the God who has allowed us to be tried above measure with the objective of that trial, bringing us to an outcome that you have explicitly stated by Paul. I actually like that verse. So can you repeat that? Should have started with, maybe I should have started that with that one. Because, no, maybe you um, should have started with Maybe you should have started with saying no. Yes. Yes. Yes, I believe that he will. Well, there you go. Give us. We're in class. Um, uh, more than we can handle sometimes. Okay. Well, there you go. I, right. I can I can work with that. See, you're having a dialogue. The the author okay. of the article, Tamara, was talking about being in a situation where someone is really struggling. They lost a loved one, or they lost a job, or a relationship broke up, or. You know, any number of things that throw people in the tizzies, right? Yeah. And then they would ask the question, I, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. Would God do this? And here comes Tamara, the servant of the Lord, that's going to actually help them with that question. And it's a question which requires sympathy, a question that requires carefulness, because you want to do two things. You want to be prophetic, that is, speak for God, and you want to be priestly. You want to speak into their life, Right. 
Yeah. Right. So so we're being more than academic here because a lot of times Christians make a hash of it, mess it up bad when people are hurting using wrong biblical text. I definitely appreciate your answer that God will often give you more than you can handle. And here's a verse that would demonstrate that and, and re, re-quote that verse for us. Um. Second Corinthians two. Okay, right. Where right, Paul says that um, uh, it seemed that he that that. Are you reading your Bible? I have it in front of me, and I just, I just, okay. Do you have your Bible in front of you? I have my phone in front of me. And you got the text there. Yes. Okay. okay. So quote the text. So quote the text accurately. Okay, Second Corinthians uh, 1, 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now, that's a very good passage, and if I would have shared that with someone in a very dire situation, what I would have wanted to be able to do is, is quote the verse, and then and then uh, uh, quote the text, and then share the verse, or quote the verse, and then uh, uh, quote the text, because somebody would say, can you tell me where that is, because I need to put my eyes on it, too. So now your audience, our audience, uh, our other classmates have been able to take that that verse that you shared with us. And uh, they may even have never heard it before. And I'm sure somebody in our audience has struggled with with temptations at a level that have brought them to despair and wondering what God is up to. And I think you have brought an excellent passage. Now, do you have anything else to say? Yes, uh, that that he does. Um, that he does. What was the second question? I, I'm not. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it. How um, if he takes pleasure in uh, in our trial. In our trials, and I believe yes, and and that's where I would go to the the um, above um, verse of the God of all comfort because because through those trials, as we rely on God, and and I love that He says that um, um, Paul says there in nine, um, but but we are to rely on the God who raises the dead because God is the one. The resurrection is the only thing that makes anything make sense for the believer. Any of our trials make sense that God will um, will make things better. He will He will heal all things. He will raise the dead things in our life, and He will raise us uh, our 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 hope of glory in Christ. Okay. And so. So I'm going to do this for time's sake because I gave you quite a bit of time. Uh, the, The outcome of God's capacity to be able to make a bad thing good or a wrong thing right or a difficult thing fruitful and blessed, the outcome of God being able to take a trial uh, that leads to death and raise us from it. The outcome of God being able to take a trial that leads to darkness and shed light on it. The outcome that God would be able to take a difficult thing and make it good does not necessarily mean that God takes pleasure in your trial, but that rather God takes pleasure in the outcome of your trials. Be able to comfort others in, in, in from what, what we have, what he has brought us to. So again, would he not take pleasure in that? So, so again, you're talking about him taking pleasure in the outcome of your trial. Hmm. You're not talking about the trial itself. See, I raised this very specific okay. question: Does God take pleasure in your trials? And I, you began to move into how outcomes of trials for believers who are in fellowship with God bring God glory. And therefore, God is pleased in the glory that it brings. But that does not necessarily answer the immediate and primary question at hand. Does God take pleasure in your trial? So, you know, because we got a whole hour to go, you can sit and listen to the other callers chime in. You did a good job. 
I'm trying to learn. We I'm all to, are. I'm trying to and there are no and there are no stupid answers either. Thank you for the call. I got to take a hard break. Tamara, uh, Tanshia, and Vic, you hold on. I've got two lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Will God give you more than you can bear? <laughs> Tamara said, "Yeah." Uh, does God take pleasure in your trials? Be very careful. Does he take pleasure in your falls? Be very careful. Does he expect you to overcome your trials? Be very careful. They're not always yes and no. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back to the time 556. We are working through a classic question. Does God give you more than you can handle? There has been the conventional statement that he doesn't, that God always makes a way for you to be able to handle your trials. And then I raised four ancillary questions to it that really help us peer into uh, the relationship that a just and righteous God has with his people uh, and with mankind in general. Those are two different categories. Now, God has a different relationship with his elect, with saved people with his sheep, with his people, with his bride, with his church, with his sons and daughters, with his servants, than he does with the unsaved world. He does not, he does not uh, execute or communicate his love to them in the way he does to his elect, nor deal with them in the way he does with his elect. Please understand that. Does God take pleasure in our trials? Does he take pleasure in our falls? Does he expect you to overcome your trials and will God give you more than you can handle? I've got two lines open, one 367 The School of Christ is open for the next hour and uh, about five minutes if you want to join in the discussion as we seek to find a way to um, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and therefore slow to wrath. Because we aren't saying things that God doesn't say, or we're at least, as Tamara said, we're trying not to. But I definitely want you to engage me on a very classic question because we all have people in our lives who get sick, who get ill, who die, who lose jobs and enter into all sorts of maladies uh, by which the question is uh, opportunistically uh, presented. Why would God take me through all this? I can't handle this. And uh, the believers to be both prophetic and priestly. Let's go to line two and talk with Tanshia. And hey, we're Tanshia. Are you still there? Yes, sir. Thank you for your patience. Um, we are um, carefully tending to the thought or at least the the comment that has been commonly stated among Christians. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I put it in a more uh, positive question form, interrogative. Will God give you more than you can handle? And uh, we had one Tamara call and she gave us her answer. How do you, how are you handling? How are you taking these questions? What would be your answer to this? Um, first, um, in my own experience, I would say, Yes, he does give us more more than what we can handle. But biblically, um, you can see it with Job. I have I only have one. I could only imagine having as many children as he did and losing all of them mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see it with David, all the trials that he went through on his way to becoming king um, and how he multiple times in in this in the psalms you can see how low how um deeply saddened he had gotten and even after he became king um and then um also looking at um second corinthians 12 um 9 when uh after paul had asked the lord to remove um an uh, a thorn yeah from him um, God said that my grace is sufficient. Okay. And so, um, so I would say that, yes, he does give us, um, more than what we could bear. He does not take pleasure in our trials. Um, going back to the first one so we can teach when you say, yes, he will give us more than we can bear. What does that look like? Because with the persons with whom you gave an example, Job, David, and Paul, the only thing that I saw 
in those three that begins to uh, visualize or express some response to their trial is that their trial weighed down on them, that their trial brought a burden on them, that their trial drove them to despair, that their trial drove them to um, all sorts of answers or responses that gives us insight into how trials occur in our life. When you say that, when we say God will give us more than we can handle, what do we mean by the more than we can handle? What does that do to us? How does that impact us? What does that bring about in us that it would affirm the fact that I cannot handle this? Um, It uh, bears witness to us, our weakness. Um, Good. Seeing that, when we have those things that we can bear, we depend upon our own strength, our own wisdom, our own resources. Mm-hmm. But when we are, when we receive trials that go beyond what we can uh, be strong through, you know, put on the brave face, yeah. um, or beyond what our resources can uh, replenish, Mm -hmm. then we are left to see our own weaknesses. And so um, that's what it means to... uh, That's what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like, Um, it looks like um, when I can't handle it, it looks like I'm saying this is too much for me. And because it's too much for me, I have to look elsewhere other than myself for this answer. Correct? That, that is accurate. Right. Yes, so, so that's what we're doing. What we're trying to do is, is kind of, you know, step by step, frame it in a way that helps people not only address the question, which, you know, I don't know how a person does not know these things, to be honest. I mean, if you're a believer any time, it, it should dawn on you fairly quickly in your walk what you can handle, what you can't. But we really do still hear professing Christians make the comment, God will not give you more than you can handle. And the assumption is, is that there is some kind of intrinsic quality that allows you to be able to endure. And yet, um, if, if that were the case, none of us would fall into sin. None of us would be so broken that we would despair of our situation but we know that that's not the case. So there has to be uh, another solution. Uh, what else were you going to say about that? Um, even even with that statement, God would not um, give us more than we could bear. It actually, for me, it creates a burden mm-hmm. because now I'm expected to bear these trials that's coming to me um, still in my own strength because well, if I'm if I'm not bearing under them under my own strength, then I'm making based on that statement the way it's stated that I'm making God a liar. I'm saying, well, yes, He is giving me more than what I can bear. If if we wanted to say that that statement was true, that's what I'm saying. So it really, for me, it, it would create a burden. I would I would feel guilty if I am. Actually not being uh, able to handle it, and yet God right. says that I could. Yes. All right, then yes. in addition to that, then just to carry it forward, because you're making a good argument, and that's really what we want to be able to do, deconstruct a statement, see it for what it really is, as I stated earlier, either it's biblical or it's not, either it is a real experience that I'm having or it's not, and if I am not experiencing what that proposition is asserting, that is God will not give me more than I can handle, either I'm not God's or God's a liar because this this promise that God will not give me more than I can handle is proving itself to be an utter mess in my life. Um, here's the next question I'm going to ask you before I take a break. For 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 you, then this burden that one is laying on you when they make the false claim that God will not give you more than you can handle. Would it then follow that if that were true, if what they were saying was true, would it not follow logically that God, therefore, then takes pleasure in your trials? If he does, if he doesn't ever give you more than you can handle, then that would mean every trial you get, 
God takes pleasure in. Would that would that follow as a reasonable assumption? Um, hmm. Let me reframe it because one of the cardinal sins of radio <laughs> is when we go silent. <laughs> too long. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I just, I want, because I want to think that through before I say he would take pleasure in it. I, and then. Because, All right. Well, you know what we're going to do? Hmm. Well, we, because this is my, this is my thought. Okay. Even if, even if we were able to bear underneath, it, even if he didn't give us more than what we could handle, I would still say that he he doesn't take pleasure in our trials only because him being our father even if we know our children can bear certain things we still don't want to see them go through it if that makes sense and and by the mere fact that he constantly warns 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 and he's long-suffering well a lot of times he's long-suffering sometimes you know the you know, the chastisement comes quickly, but he constantly warns before that the trial happens. Right. So I, I will I will take what you said and go. This is how I would put it. You are right to a limit. OK, you're right to a limit. Obviously, you do. We have to always remember that if we once we put our feet in God's shoes as an analogy of being a parent like he is to us, that our analogy is very limited. Right. We we are not going to assert that I don't particularly care for my children going through trials. Therefore, God doesn't particularly care for his children going through trials. we got to be careful about making an, uh, an equivalency argument out of that. There is a partial truth there and it's not. So I'm going to take that question up with our next caller. Uh, because we got to take a break and pay some bills. Anyhow, you did a good job. Thanks. I got to take a break. I've got two lines open. one 367 We're in class now. Sit down. Strap in. Don't get in trouble. The number is one 367 I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. 